Matthew 25, verses 44 and 45. Then they also will answer, Lord, when did we see thee hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to thee? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous unto, into eternal life. Dean has our message today entitled, Another Look at the Judgment. There's an interesting verse in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1, 21. It says, it says this, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I'd like to focus in for a moment on those three words, the foolishness of preaching. What I think it's trying to tell us is that it's not the speaker. No way. It's the words of Scripture that the Holy Spirit uses to come into our lives and our minds. I'd like you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. Lord, this morning, we, we're well aware of the term foolishness of preaching. Lord, I pray this morning that the speaker will fade Fade away and let the words of Scripture speak for themselves. In Jesus' name, amen. sermon this morning will be a little different. Um, it's going to be in the form of three stories, two modern stories, one story from Scripture. I've treasured a report over the years that um, I have from Duncan Eva. Duncan Eva was the vice president of the General Conference. And when you read what he wrote, you're impressed with the fact that he knew his Savior. Um, he had occasion to travel around the world in his capacity as vice president. And uh, on one occasion he went to Africa, visited one of our small hospitals there. He toured around and then they told him, you must, you must go see our special patient. He went to a room that was a little bit out of the way from the hospital and there he found a pathetic sight. The villagers recently had brought this man to the hospital because they didn't know what to do anymore for him. He was past the time when human physicians could help him. Pastor Eva knelt on the floor of this humble dwelling, and beside that man he prayed for this old African man. I do not think that man could have given a dissertation on Daniel Revelation or perhaps the 2300 days It is not that we should not study these things. We should, because to whom much has been given, much is required. 
according to God. But there's another, perhaps more important thing. How is a man saved? What about the judgment? As this man was there in front of him, beyond human help, this man had nothing of earthly value. In fact, he had less than nothing. As he looked at him, he realized that he was just leather over bones. That was about all that was left. Yet, he did have a robe. The robe that surrounded him was not of earthly devising. It had no earthly seam. It was a robe of Christ's righteousness. was woven in heaven. Given to this poor helpless man that day, yet later he did die, but he was wrapped in Christ's robe of righteousness for eternity. Pastor Eva never forgot that event. It changed his life. There's a story relates in 2 Kings 20, around verse 5. It's very interesting. King Hezekiah, he was king of Israel, he was very, very sick, and he knew that he was going to die. The king pled with the Lord to save him. He pointed out to God, you know, God, I've done many things for you. I've been your servant. I've been faithful to you. Let's, let's read those words. I beseech thee, O Lord, remember how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and done that which was good in thy sight. Then the words come, and Hezekiah wept sore. He wept sore. He was apparently weeping hysterically. He was going to die, and he didn't like it a bit. And it came to pass... You see, Isaiah was there at the bedside that, that day, and he heard, he heard this plea from Hezekiah. Isaiah turned around and went out into the middle court. Then we have the words of the Bible that say that the word of the Lord came to, Hezekiah, to Isaiah, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. We all know that God hears our prayers. Did we know that he also sees our tears? This poor, hopeless African man died a few days later, but he went to sleep with the knowledge that a minister from America had come to visit him and prayed with him. As he went to sleep, I surmise that that prayer was ringing in his mind. And he had a robe around him, a robe of Jesus' righteousness as he died. The robe, not one stitch of human devising. It was woven on heaven's loom. He was as helpless as that thief beside the Savior as he died. And they will both be in heaven one day. Judgment? What about the final judgment? How does this relate? If we have that robe of righteousness around us, Satan cannot harm us. Satan's doom is sealed when Jesus died at the cross. 
and the saved will go home forever, and in so doing will vindicate God's name and character. The second story is also a modern one. (laughs) Clifford Goldstein is quite an individual. He was a Jew. About 25 years ago, he was converted to Christianity, to the Adventist Church. Since then, he has written many, many books for our denomination. He's also the editor, as you know, of our Sabbath School Lesson Quarterly, Clifford Goldstein. A year ago this month, he was invited to go to India, to Spicer College, to give their week of prayer. He had quite an experience that changed his life. He says in his words, I loved walking through the city. My senses soaked in images and impressions of a humanity radically tilted from my own familiar angles of sight and thought. And I'm sure of sound as well. He says, as I walked near my hotel, a woman was there holding her baby. She put her hand to the baby's mouth and then to hers and a gesture that did not need to be interpreted. I handed her a bill, a rupee. Mothers with babies seemed to rise from the pavement like steam on a hot day. I peeled off bill after bill until my wallet was empty of Indian currency. The people pressed in on me until I needed to be rescued by the hotel guards. The next day, near the hotel, another mother holding her baby made the same gesture. Not wanting to repeat the experience of the day before, I made sure that my iPhone earplugs were snugly and loudly in place as I tried to ignore her and her hungry baby. She kept reaching for me. I kept on acting as if she weren't there. My eyes never meeting hers or the infant's. This pantomime continued until I entered the sanctuary of my hotel, where I went to my room and hurried to change. After all, I had to get to Spicer College to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel? I had just brushed off a mother asking me to help feed her hungry baby, and now I'm going to preach the gospel. The gospel? Every parable, every prophetic utterance, every verse about poverty and greed zeroed in on me. The hypocritical contrast between what I had just done and what I was just getting ready to do condemned my soul. My conscience, heavy and uneasy, reached deep into me and soured my gut. I changed my clothes. I went outside to wait for my pickup person to go to Spicer to preach the gospel. After a minute or so, as I stood there, a boy of about six came up to me and asked to shine my shoes for two rupees. That's less than half a penny. I said, sure. Afterward, not having anything less, and besides I wished to help my guilty conscience about the mother with the baby that I had ignored, I handed him a hundred rupee bill. That would be about 25 cents. A moment later, another boy of about five came up. They hugged each other, saying they were brothers. The new boy, in perfect King's English, looked at me and said, Please, sir, I want to start my own business. 
shoe shining business, but, did not ha- but I did not have any money. Already knowing what I would do, I asked him, well, how much would it take? Oh, it's very expensive, sir, he said, 500 rupees. Be about $10. Then in words that have haunted me, since he continued, please, sir, it would change my life. Change his life? Change his life? We are talking about a five-year-old boy who should have been playing ball on a sandlot with other boys, not begging for startup capital on the street to start his business. (laughs) What could I do? I was supposed to preach in a few hours about the gospel. If I wanted to look myself in the mirror, if I did not want to sell my soul for a pitiful $10, that would not have changed my life one bit but it would have changed this boy's life in a huge way. I had no choice. I handed him the money. My conscience would have strangled me if I had not done so. I preached soon afterwards, yet I could not shake this sense of futility in this experience. I am standing in a pulpit talking about the gospel and judgment, while on the streets there were mothers with hungry infants and five-year-olds trying to shine shoes. These people could not be helped much with my preaching. They could not take even one syllable out of the air of what I said. No matter how much present truth I preached, they could not fill their bellies with my preaching about the gospel, could they? We do need to preach the gospel to the entire planet as Jesus commanded us to do. We have a message that no one else is preaching. I know all this, have dedicated my life to it, he says. Yet the image of that child saying, please, sir, it will change my life. This showed me clearly that just preaching is not enough. Jesus died for everyone all over this earth. They're all his children. How does this life-changing story fit into the judgment scene of Scripture? I ask you, could Matthew 25 possibly fit? Could this modern experience of Cliff Goldstein fit Matthew 25? Let's read it carefully and see what it says. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, and the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and you gave me no meat, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee unhungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? 
And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch, oh, that pressured word, inasmuch, as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee unhungered, or a thirst, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now to a story from Scripture, our third part of the discussion today. It's also a story about judgment. These are like diamonds with different facets, and you can look at the judgment from many different ways. The Pharisees were desperate to find a way to trap Jesus and stop his growing popularity. By the way, the theme for this next uh, section was taken from John Anderson's book, Investigating the Judgment. Scribes and Pharisees devised a plan that they thought would trap Jesus for good. They put Jesus in an untenable position. They finally had him where they wanted him, they thought, to discredit him, and maybe even they could get him to say something that they could seize him for to kill him. So they brought to him a woman caught in the very act, and they said to her, set her in the midst, and they said, Master, this woman was caught in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This is in John 8. The Jews thought they had Jesus cornered. If he said stone her, he would be violating Roman law. But if he said let her go, they could accuse him of not following the Jewish law. The man involved was never mentioned here. It does not take much reading between the lines to discern a conspiracy and a setup against Jesus here. At first, Jesus said nothing and seemed to ignore them. Oh, but then he stooped to the ground in front of this trembling woman who thought, my life is over. I'm going to die. There are only three places in Scripture where God wrote with his own finger. You remember Moses taking the Ten Commandments from God's own finger. The second place in Scripture is Belshazzar's famous palace where the finger was writing on the wall, meeny, meeny, tickle you farson. That was a judgment scene for sure. The third place was right here where Jesus stooped to the ground. He stooped to the ground and began to write on the temple's dusty pavement. This story took place at the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, and in that 
On those occasions, once a year, when they had the Feast of the Tabernacles, Josephus, a major historian of that time, tells us that there were over a million people that came to Jerusalem for that event. The place was crowded and milling with people. This was to commemorate Israel's wandering in the wilderness. The temple would have been an especially crowded place. There would have been much commotion with a multitude elbowing around. The scribes and Pharisees prodded him, demanding an answer. Then Jesus said, He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone at her. John 8, 7. The question comes to us, what did Jesus write on the ground that day? Many Bible students believe that he wrote the sins of those scribes and Pharisees who were accusing this woman, perhaps so well that each one knew exactly what Jesus was writing about them. They suspected that Jesus knew each of their own thoughts and that they were hiding something. Can Jesus read thoughts? Can he read the heart? Remember, one day he told Nathaniel, Nathaniel, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. John 1.48 Jesus said to the woman at the well, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said, You have said well, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you're with now isn't your husband. Of that you spoke truly. John 4.16-18 One day in the synagogue, Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him to see if they could catch him in any way. Scripture plainly says, But he knew their thoughts. Luke, 4, Luke 6, 8. Jesus certainly had the wisdom to know each of these accusers and what was in their murderous hearts. Whatever he wrote certainly made them uncomfortable. And then they began to leave one at a time from the oldest to the youngest. So we come into the judgment scene really fast here in this story from Scripture. The scribes and Pharisees sought to bring this woman to judgment along with bringing Christ himself to judgment that day. And to trap him, Christ read them like an open door. They initiated this judgment scene, but Jesus rapidly finished it. The Pharisees initiated an inquisition of this poor woman. It, has, it was a big charade. They occupied the role of accuser of the brethren, quoting Moses and the law, bringing charges against one of God's children, intending to defame Jesus. We can view God's judgment as it, as it applies to humanity, but there is a bigger picture here. The judgment has a much wider perspective. It is about God's character and defaming him as well. In this episode, it's about the Pharisees against Christ with the woman just as a tool or pawn in their hands, using her to attack Jesus. As this drama unfolded, Jesus pronounced her acquittal. But this drama was also about their evil intent to destroy Christ. The judgment is not only about us, but it's also about clearing God's name before the universe and vindicating his name. As we accept the cross and salvation offered, we vindicate God's name to the universe. 
We must remember at the end of all things, at the final judgment, the great song will arise from the lips of the redeemed. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Revelation 15, 3. That image in our minds of Christ stooping to write in the dust of the earth the sins of the accusers that day of this forlorn woman gives us a clear picture of God's character and his love for us. He condescended and he stooped down. Humility is the hallmark of divinity. To this woman he said nothing about her sins to those scribes and Pharisees. To the woman at the well, he said nothing about her sins to those that were around there. God is reluctant to expose our sins, but he is willing to forgive and forget them. Bury them in the depths of the sea and blot them from his book, and by so doing, write our name in his Lamb's book of life. But he prizes our power of choice. He does not coerce our conscience. He allows us to choose Jesus or his archenemy, Satan. If a person persistently clings to sin, he allows us to make that choice. We see this reality in the exodus of the accusers of this woman. So they slowly, silently walked away. What a scene. At the final judgment, those who have rejected Jesus will ask for the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of Jesus, who comes in all his glory and majesty. The judgment is not about God arbitrarily saying who is saved or lost, but is about people disqualifying themselves by their own choice. Let's turn to another scripture, Matthew 22. See how this relates to our subject this morning. Matthew 22. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. And they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, and another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city, and said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in thither, not having a wedding garment? And he was... He was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away. Cast him into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
for many are called, but few are chosen. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. So in summary, what have we tried to say today about the judgment? This poor African man had next to nothing. But Christ's righteousness was around him. And he went to sleep in the knowledge that he would enter the heavenly city. We have the second story about a theologian who went to give a week of prayer about the gospel. And his heart was softened and saw a different version of the judgment and how we're to treat people. Then we have the third, the third story of Mary of Magdala, who the Bible tells us will be in heaven. Perhaps there'll be many surprises in heaven. Many, many surprises. Perhaps those that go through that gate will have on their lips what the publican said, God be merciful to me a sinner. Perhaps they'll also have on their lips what Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. Perhaps they'll have the words of David on their lips, pleading with God, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Eternal Father, may we see Jesus and Jesus only, and by beholding him, may we all become changed. Amen.